This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Okay, podcast episode 53 with me, Dan the Fitness Man. Where is that fancy intro music? I'm working on it, man, right now. No fluff, no time, hard work ahead off-season baby training five six days a week mixing it up with functional cross training crossfit running intervals strength conditioning all those pieces doubled down with pretty darn good nutrition 80 20 approach eating clean 80 percent of the time meal prep planning on the weekends and just trying to get seven to eight hours of sleep just discipline is always the common denominator to anything that I have been successful at. That's what we preach. If you've never listened to Elk Shape Podcast before, we're definitely a little different than the rest. We are all about the blue-collar, hard-working family man who hunts on public land, buys their tags at Walmart, cuts their teeth with all the other competition out there. I'm really excited today, bringing on a guy that I know pretty well, and uh, we get to know him a lot more on this episode he defines what discipline and blue-collar lifestyle is all about. He's a perfect candidate, and we'll get into that. You can find Elk Shape on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. We're on YouTube. We have ElkShape.com. You can support us through there. Give us a five-star review. That's all that kind of stuff. We're always stoked that you do that. We know you're busy, and we know that you're out there working hard towards your goals as well. going to bring on Ryan Starley. He's a plumber by day, elk hunter by September and he switched things up the last couple of years. He's been going out with the recurve just for an extra challenge. He had a hell of a elk hunting learning curve. We'll get into that, how he balances everything out, how he trains for uh, this year. He's training for an ultra marathon, but he does CrossFit as well and a bunch of other stuff. And he's got some great videos out there on the internet. You guys are going to learn more about this guy. I'm really excited to have him on. Enjoy the show. Uh, what's up, y'all? Dan the Fitness Man here. We are doing the Elk Shape Podcast today. Bring it on. Actually a homeboy of mine. Looking forward to getting to know him better here. Definitely fits the mold for what we're after. Uh, he's blue collar. Hell of a hunter. Uh, he's made quite a, quite a little bit of video action on YouTube. We'll get to that too. He's married, kids, family man, elk hunter. He's fit. I, I can't think of a better guest than Ryan Starley. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great. Cool. Well, here we are. We're going to do a little podcast tonight. Uh, I have a few questions lined out, but we'll see where it goes. So uh, what have you been up to, man? Just working a bunch now, um, running a lot. That's kind of my my thing right now, trying to get some miles. Yeah, just uh, you're a trail runner though, right? Well, I, I do both. Um, right now, not really because of snow. So I'm just kind of running around the neighborhood right now. Okay. This time of year. But in the summertime, yeah, that's definitely my favorite. How many miles do you rack up a week? Last year, I bet like 10 to 15 was probably the average. This year, I, I just set a goal starting January, but we're, I'm going for 20 miles a week at least. 
except during hunting season, of course. But my goal overall is a thousand miles for the year. So about 20 a week would be right in there. So when you're, cause you're a pretty good runner, I got to know, uh, I'm a CrossFitter. Uh, so I do CrossFit, but running's integrated and every once in a while I'm forced to do a run, I'll go do it and <laughs> I don't suck at it, but I'm not as good as I could be if I ran more, obviously. Um, yeah. but you, on the other hand, I would say are a runner that does CrossFit. Yeah. So how does that work with running <clears throat> mobility? Uh, how do you CrossFit's a ton of legs? How does that work for you balancing those two? Um, it's not bad. I don't think they help each other a ton. I feel like I'll get into running and I'll run a ton and I'll, uh, I'll be worse at CrossFit. (laughs) Like my strength goes down Mm -hmm. and then vice versa. Like last year and typically in the wintertime, I do a lot more CrossFit, um, and don't run as much, you know, just the weather and everything. And I can tell, I feel stronger. I'm better at CrossFit, but my running is kind of crappier. So I don't know. They don't, I don't feel like they don't help each other a ton, but I think they're both as good as workouts as you can do for elk hunting. So I try to do as both of them as much as I can really. So you have a home garage gym set up and you live in a neighborhood. So are you doing street parking just for your garage gym or can you fit a rig in there as well? No, we have a three car. So we got our cars in there and then we have a separate bay for the gym. So it's pretty awesome setup. Take us through your setup. Um, I got some rogue, a couple rogue bars and weights. Um, I made some boxes, just, you know, like a Pinterest design that for a couple different boxes, I took <laughs> basketballs, um, and deflated them and cut a little hole, filled them with sand and taped them up for balls, you know, that are like one sixteen, one's 18 pounds. I got an awesome pull-up bar that's, you know, there's tall ceilings. So like, you can do muscle ups on them. I have rings in there. Um, I got a squat rack that folds away in there. Um, and then I got those rubber stall mats for the floor. I'm trying to think of anything else I got in there. It's a pretty good setup for, I can do most. I need to get a bike um, and a rower would kind of be the only two things. And a kettlebell would be awesome. I have some dumbbells. I got a bench. Um, kind of everything to do most CrossFit workouts. Yeah, you are doing good. Okay. So Pinterest, is that, what is Pinterest? I'm just joking. Uh, I'm just joking. My wife <laughs> to say if you don't know that, my yeah. wife lives on Pinterest, yeah. and all my money goes towards the things that Pinterest <laughs> suggests. Yeah. Uh, okay, but I do. On all seriousness, so the fold-out rig type thing is that one of those you see like advertised where you no, can, okay, no, it's with uh, wood. I uh, I I got pretty hokey with it, but it works good. I bought a four by four post, sawed them off, and made little notches just as tall as I needed it. And then I got, I got a, like a two by six on the wall secured to the studs and then two, two by sixes coming off connected to those four by four posts with some, uh, like hinges and they open and lock open. And it's pretty, uh, like I said, it's pretty ghetto, but it works good. Um, and then I have two other pieces of wood down below for like benching, um, that holds the bar a little lower. Yeah. It's, it's like a DIY all rack. the way, but man, it probably costs like forty bucks to make it. So I can work with that. Now, how yeah. much duct tape do you have to use <laughs> when you make a um, basketball yeah. med ball? A lot. I, I, I and I'll use them, and then you know, every few months you got to retape them. But that's pretty cool. I get tape work at for, or at free at work, so I just steal that. Thank you, work. And then we'll get to your work in a second. I'm still fascinated. So what uh, weight of dumbbells do you have? What's your options there? No, I have uh, 20, 25, and 35s. Okay. So I'd like to get some more of those, some heavier ones for certain stuff, but yeah. All right. And obviously, let's see, you have a bench. When you said bike and rower, so people that don't know, you're probably talking about a Concept 2 rower. Yeah, um, those are hard to find on Craigslist. People know the value of those. Uh, I got one rower. Actually, I have six rowers that are probably eleven years old. They last pretty good. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, and people are on them nonstop. And then the assault bikes. I'm assuming there's a lot of options. There's like the Schwinn. These are all fan bikes, so you're using your arms and your legs. I'm assuming that's what you're looking at. Getting yes. is a Schwinn or a assault bike yep. or Echo bike. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which one do you want? I don't. I. I think the assault bike, I looked at a couple, they're about 700-ish, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I've seen some sales or something, but that's kind of what I've been looking at. I don't, uh, I don't know too much about them. I'm pretty new to them, and the first time I used them, I, it almost killed me. So that's kind of when I knew I should get one. Yeah, they don't ever <laughs> get easier. They're really, they just build up lactate really quick. Like if you yeah. want to work on lactate threshold, which is your ability to buffer lactic acid and kind of be okay with a burning sensation that's your threshold you want to be on a salt bike so we have at the staten household we have a like a rogue pull-up bar that's just built for at home just mounts yeah. to some studs we have a plyo box uh that we made and you can get the designs just google you'll find that i have a sheet of plywood for like a platform with some horse stall mats uh, horse stall mats are usually about 50 to 60 bucks a sheet. That's a half inch, uh, five by seven feet. Uh, I got some bumper plates. Uh, you don't need to get competition bumper plates, and most gyms don't yeah. don't rock those. We do at my gym, but we're fancy. And then I have, I actually bought a really expensive bar. I have at my house, like a uh, at least a 600 weightlifting bar that spins really good. And you don't need to do that. Right. You can get like an economy bar. Where'd you get your bars? You said Rogue. Rogue, yeah. It was a while ago, but they're definitely, I'd say, economy bars. They're just kind of standard. Yeah. And they work great. They're awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. We do have, I don't have a rower at my house, but I do have an assault bike. And a most, and then I have a pair of dumbbells, uh, just 50s. And I have yeah. one 44-pound kettlebell. And I probably never touch the kettlebell. And truly, I only work out at home when I'm just, I don't want to leave the house, but I want to win the day. And Almost nine times out of ten, I don't touch a bar. I don't do pull-ups. I usually just get the dumbbells and the assault bike and go to work. Uh, so if you're looking at starting out, I would say dumbbells are pretty good. You can do a lot. And I think the assault bike's pretty expensive, but, man, it's pretty nice, especially if you live somewhere where we do, like where winter kind of sucks. So yeah. that's awesome that you got a home gym set up in your – I've seen you CrossFit. You're a pretty darn good CrossFitter. You know, you're not average mm-hmm. for sure, and I know you're a damn good runner. Have you – tried a spartan race or a tough mutter yet no i haven't Mm -mm. i've kind of i've been wanting to um they're just you know there's so many running races that we try to do that yeah but i know i i I would like to well i'm inviting you and anyone listening to join me in big fork montana first weekend of may gonna take a weekend off from bear hunting and go run that beast race i did it last year it was awesome there was 30 obstacles and i think it was 13 miles right on the dot and uh really good time so you'd crush that man that'd be awesome yeah i should i'll I'll look into that yeah do it and camping's cool i think we camped last year i think this year we went soft and got a hotel because we're bringing our kids and we just don't want to deal with them (laughs) yeah all right here but i think how old are you ryan 31 31 i don't know the age almost 32 now you might want to look into age group start because i didn't start in my age group which i'm 30 i was 36 last year i wish i had i would have started with like maybe a hundred people instead i started with like waves of two thousand maybe more 2500 people (laughs) and a bunch of them started before me so a lot of my run was way off like first off you're running this course it's very heel like really hilly and a lot of the trails are like elk hunting. It's just elk hunting. You're on a trail that they flagged, which is my style. So you're just kind of bushwhacking and running. Nothing's really awesome, which is great. And yeah. uh, I felt like I was chasing bugles for 13 miles. And I was passing people constantly. Not that I'm a great runner, but just you had to avoid bottlenecks. But there yeah. was 30 obstacles. I've never done a Spartan. And if you don't do the, the obstacle, it's uh, 30 burpees per obstacle you don't complete. Didn't do a single Dang. burpee. And I think that's all just from doing the grip stuff and the pull-ups and stuff at CrossFit, being an athlete. And then uh, I don't know. I think I got close to top 10 out of the nice. 2,500 people. And that's with a really bad start and a lot of traffic. So this year, I'm going to go in my age class and see if I can get like – you start like in the morning before everybody – and, yeah. Uh, but you might, I know this will sound funny, but you and another guy I know, his name's Ryan. We call him the Mongoose. He's just one of the better runners. You guys should go try Elite and just see what happens. Yeah, yeah that'd be awesome. Guys like you. So, what kind, of pace, what kind of pace do you, can you hold running trails that are hilly when it comes to running? 
I if if there's good the downhill is kind of my strength, right? Like I have longer legs and pretty tall, so downhill I can really make up some ground because um, that uphill, you know, that'll that slows you down a lot. I would say it depends on the the incline a lot, but typically if I could keep it under eight most runs, like somewhere in the sevens. Um, it all depends on how much elevation. Yeah. But, if there's downhill though, like when I'm going downhill cruising, a lot of times I'll be at like six and a half and I can, that's pretty, that's fast, um, for me, but that's, you know, downhill, I can do that for a good ways. So I yeah. can really make up some time on, on those. Definitely. Have you ever thought about, have you ever been to the Grand Canyon? I haven't, but I know that rim to rim to rim. And, uh, I got invited to go do it with a family friend of ours and, I, we we're doing these other races and it's like in the summer we're it's so busy i i'm not going to be able to go with them but um it's on my bucket list for sure okay i think you'd crush that i remember in my 20s i'd love to do something like that yeah i uh started off i was like i'm just gonna run down to the bottom of the grand canyon it's something oh, wow. like it's like seven miles or something and maybe even eight but straight I down just i so. never stopped <laughs> I was almost in control the whole time and made it, it was like snow on top. And when I got down to the bottom <clears throat> under an hour, seriously, it was yeah. just, and then I was like so hot down at the very bottom. And then I think it took me like three hours to get back to my truck, but I just think you'd crush that. What races do you have lined out? Um, we always go do the Missoula marathon. That's kind of one we've done since we've moved up here and, um, we like that one a lot, but we have a big one this year that we're doing in Oregon. It's the Elijah Bristow. It's a 24-hour run, so it'll be my wife and I are doing it together. It'll be our first ultra together. Where who knows how you know it kind of just goes as far as you can um, and just don't stop for 24 hours. So that's really what we're all what, what you know this whole year what we're training for. Um, I lo- I'd love to do 100 miles, but that is that's a f- like just under 15-minute pace average so that's that's a big feat i don't know if that's possible <laughs> well you just advertised it i think you could do it so this will be your first ultra are you and your wife going to trade off every hour or no it's individual oh um, god so but it's a one mile it's basically a one mile loop it's a, it's it's mostly trail it's pretty flat but it's just like a one mile loop um mostly on single track i think you come back into the parking lot and so there's like a paved section where you can have your car you know, so basically you can have all your supplies right there. So you're just basically running this one mile loop for 24 hours, which is pretty monotonous. It's going to be tough, but we don't have like a, you know, a crew to meet us anywhere. It's kind of the perfect setup where we can have our car. We can have extra shoes, all the food you want. They have tons of food there. Um, you can kind of have everything you need, headlamps and trekking poles and everything. You got a support crew? No, we don't. <laughs> Holy crap. If we can get babysitters that we're we're looking good. So that works. Yeah. Yeah. It's close to some family there, so we'll we'll have some babysitters, but now we're we're just kinda where I think we'll just have everything in the car and uh you know, support ourselves that oh, way. Dude, you are you are crazy. So we gotta get into this. We're gonna go into this more. I have to. So obviously the furthest you've ran, I'm assuming somewhere over twenty like twenty six and change or yeah, yep, 26.2. I've never done more than a marathon. Okay. I, I plan on doing some longer ones um, this summer and spring, but as of right now, yep, marathon. Usually you bump up to a 50K. Or yeah. <laughs> you're just going for the 24. Well, yeah, so, I mean, it's a 24-hour. You know, you can run however many you want, really. That's, you know, it's not a going to a 100-mile race. You don't have to run 100. You can run 50 miles and nothing wrong with that so are you going to commit to 50 miles or 75 or would you are you going for 100 i'm going for 100 okay and i just know it you know i'm i'm gonna see how it goes i'm i mean i'm not gonna stop and until you know i i say that too but when i get running and it gets bad i'm like i'm not gonna hurt myself before elk season so <laughs> yeah what's the dates on that i always keep that? that in my mind it's in june it's early okay. june okay so yeah yeah i run an elk filter through all my activities case in yeah. point took the kids yep. got back from ata show took them to this trampoline park and i did i was like you guys go told my wife i'll just watch 
And I'm on the sidelines for like 30 minutes, like debating, should I go jump or not? I have no ACL, my left knee. I don't care about jumping. I care about elk hunting. But I finally, I finally paid the money and got the socks and went out and jumped and had a good time. But man, it's almost sad that my elk hunting filter can (laughs) deter me from having fun. But uh, I didn't. It's too long of a wait. It is. You can't miss it yeah you can't miss it so david goggins you read his book i i have the audio book and i've been listening to that when i run oh god i mean it's amazing (laughs) have you gotten to the part where he does uh, a 24 hour on like three days notice never ran that far in his life okay yeah (laughs) yeah for anyone listening hasn't checked that out i would recommend the audio book of that because they did a really cool thing with their media they had a narrator they had David Goggins in the studio, and then after every chapter, it's like a little mini podcast going over further details. I think a lot of books will go that direction. Yeah. That kind of book. I, I thought it was really cool, and I don't know how many hours it is, but I I burned through that so fast. It was very entertaining, uh, yeah. inspirational. And that I, guy's think a, it's, I think it's nine or ten hours. Yeah, burned through yeah. it. Loved it. I'll probably listen to it again. It was It's a keeper, so check that out. So, all right, Mr. Ultra in June, I think uh, – <laughs> I think that's awesome. Now, what's your why behind all this? Like, why put yourself through that mentally, obviously physically, but more mentally, we both know. What's the what's the outcome? Like, what are you looking to accomplish? Are you just trying to test yourself? Like, in your words, what's your why? Yeah, definitely trying to test myself. Um, running and stuff, it, it all started with elk hunting. I kind of killed my first elk, got into elk hunting pretty big, and just, you know, fitness was right there um so that was kind of why it started but now too i'm kind of i run just mainly the mental aspect i think uh it's kind of you know it's not like meditation but it definitely clears your head um long runs and pushing yourself doing things you know you kind of don't think you can do um especially with races i'm always kind of surprised yeah how how i perform and you know I, I just always do better than i think i can and um yeah that mental side of it with running is that's that's my favorite um but it really does all kind of lead back to elk hunting elk hunting's kind of became my biggest passion well let's get into it um we should probably set the stage uh you're, you said you're almost 32 yep and February. You've been married for X amount of years. You have a boy. You have a girl. Your day job, you are a plumber. You are blue collar. You hunt with your brother. That's all I know. Fill in the rest on your background. Yeah. um, I grew up in Oregon, um, and my brother still lives in Oregon, so we we hunt Oregon a lot. But, um, yeah, I grew up in Oregon, and we've been bow hunting, both of us, since we were young enough, old enough to. Um, My dad got us shooting bows, and doing bow shoots and didn't get big into elk hunting until about 2010 that's when i killed my first elk and kind of was hooked ever since but so we grew up in southern oregon not not real good elk hunting down there we'd hunt elk every year we'd hunt elk a lot but we wouldn't kill elk very often (laughs) wouldn't even get shots you know it was it was really tough and then matt he moved to college uh kind of got over on the coast and north um northwest oregon and elk hunting was way better and that's kind of when it took off we we started getting into elk and getting more serious about it um started videoing shortly after that and killed my first elk 2010 started videoing probably about 2013 two years ago now we switched to recurve hunting or traditional bow hunting um he shoots a longbow right now i still shoot a recurve um and this last year we tried videoing and i think we're kind of got at the end of this year we got to where we decided we're like we'll probably hold off on video in a little bit get better at hunting with traditional bows because it's a whole nother game yes and then kind of pick up the camera again once we once we hopefully get better at that you know you know how video and is it's a it's a adds a whole nother challenge to it a little i know a little about it i've purposely tried to leave it behind a lot but you guys you and your brother what's your brother's name matt you and Matt definitely put together some great videos. People got to check out. What's your YouTube channel? Um, it's Rogue Wild Productions. And I believe you guys were in the Full Draw Film Tour at least once? Twi- yeah, twice fully and kind of three times. But yeah, twice really, two two full times, yep. That's awesome. So 
people can find your stuff on YouTube. I thought you guys made have made some really great films. I mean, honestly, somebody's got an eye for capturing some pretty cool footage. Uh, somebody's editing. How did that kind of tell us a little bit about your your videoing days, if you will? Yeah, um, Matt's definitely the uh, he's the one behind it. Um, I, I've made one. I edited and kind of videoed one full video. It was his his black tail deer hunt. Um, but he, his senior project in high school was making a video like that. Um, and that was, we were, I was a sophomore, he was a senior and we just went deer hunting and he videoed it all, made this cool video and kind of, you know, got hooked on that. And that was, gosh, that was quite a, that was a long time ago. We kind of just played with it for a long time. And then finally, um, once we, you know, we were getting in serious into elk hunting, pretty consistently killing elk to where he decided to buy a nice camera, buy some um, editing software and a nice computer and kind of get serious about it and just kind of learned on the fly. Um, I think our first big video, I'm trying to think, I think it was when we went to Utah. We both drew elk tags in Utah and we videoed that whole thing. We had, we had 12 days there. We both ended up killing bulls. Uh, my dad went with us, and it was it's that one's called the Brothers Bond. Um, that's on YouTube. There, that was one that was in the full draw film tour. Yep. Um, so that was a pretty cool one. And we, the other one, was our. Um, it was a uh, we. I went to Oregon. We hunted Oregon together, and then he came to Idaho, and we hunted Idaho together which is typically what we do. We do buy points in kind of all the other states. Um, so we kind of, we have a lot of stuff we plan on doing in the future. Um, our biggest, our best video, I would say was, it's called the Curable. It's a three-year, kind of a three-year story. I, in the 2014, I think it was the first year I got a picture of this bull. Um, I had two pictures of him and they weren't very good pictures. It was dark, you know, it was nighttime and he was just a huge bull. Um, never saw him never you know couldn't find him no idea right before september he was gone off the camera um and i think the second year we kind of were hunting him you know we're trying to find him we're hunting all around where it was and found a spot that we thought would make sense and that was the we got in there that one night got the bull located thought you know that could be the caribou just kind of i don't know just hearing the bugle we're like ah, yep that could be the caribou and uh, the next morning, we got down below him first thing, and we had this bull come right by us in the dark. We were down in the bottom just waiting for it to get light because, you know, the wind going down, we were below everything. And this bull walked up right next to us just screaming his head off, and he went up and fought the bull that we had located the night before that we were going after. And uh, we were going, following this bull up, up as it was getting light, and they started. we could hear him start fighting. You could hear their antlers just it was it was insane followed that bull up the trail right where they're going he lost the fight and came back down the trail and we just bumped into each other at like 10 yards and Matt was in front of me and I had the camera going but it was like it was first light in the morning couldn't see a lot and he shot that bull and it ran off and died and uh you know we just didn't really know how big of a bull it was found out it wasn't the caribou um the caribou is the one that won the fight up the hill but we did we went up and we got eyes on him and saw him and saw it was the caribou. He had like 10 or 12 cows and he took his cows and left. But, um, you know, that was kind of the first time we're like, Oh my gosh, we actually found him. Yeah. He lives in this little pocket. Um, we call it the hot pocket. <laughs> and, uh, so we got Matt's bull. It was a nice six point, just awesome, awesome bull. Got that out of there. And, uh, took, we took it into town. We basically, I think we took that next day off getting, you know, we got it into town and everything. Went back in there, did the same exact thing. The elk were bugling way up top now. So we, we got below them and we just, we beat feet all the way up and around above them, tried to cut them off. And we ended up getting right up above them on the top and uh, saw this big six point. Wasn't the caribou, but it was like, I'm, there's no way I'm passing them up. Cause you know, at that point we were like, we're going, we're going to kill the caribou. We yeah. know where he's at. I'm not going to shoot anything but the caribou. We're going to kill him. And then I saw this big, which is my biggest bull. <laughs> yeah. Saw him and I'm like, okay, well, I got to, you know, ended up getting a shot at him and shot that bull and killed him. And um, 
was just so stoked. But so then that third year, we're like, all right, we're going for the Caribou. We know where he ruts. We know, you know, we, we know where he's at in September. So we hunted, I think eight or 10 days that year. Um, and it was just, it was really tough, extremely dry. There's that was the year the there were a lot of fires up here. About half the area was shut down <clears throat> from fires. Oh yeah, um, tons of smoke. It was just hot and dry and miserable. Our last day, um, we went into this the hot pocket. Um, we hadn't been, you know, we hunted there. Nothing was going on. We we've been hunting other spots the rest of the week, and we decided to go back the last day. Ran into people. Um, we did get on some elk right at first light, not the caribou, but a nice bull. Matt should have shot it, and he didn't. I was videoing, and I'm, I'm like, I, I don't know. You know, it was just the same thing, a little dark. But he ended up pushing up all the elk up over the top, and we followed him over, ran into more people. And we, it's like 10 in the morning. We're like, it's it's pretty much done. Matt's got to go home. Um, you know, it was just a tough year. And this bull comes back up over the hill behind us and is just screaming, and we're on this skid road. Um, and we're like, well, you know, here we go. We're going to see what happens. And they're trying to come down the hill. And I think the cows are spooked and this bull is just screaming his head off, trying to keep them together because they're kind of panicking. And we find, I mean, we ran up and down this road for 20 or 30 minutes, seemed like an eternity. Finally got to where we saw him and it was the caribou. And, and, you know, if you watch the video, Matt, um, makes this great shot on him, which we thought, I mean, we thought it was great. It was a great shot. That bull dropped six or eight inches at least on the shot. Um, yep. It was a really hard quartering away shot, which was not, you know, looking back at it, something kind of wish we didn't take, I guess. But um, that bull dropped and it hit him just above, just skimmed the top of the ribs, went into the, the back strap, top of the shoulder, didn't get in the rib cage. Uh oh. Which we did not find out till, you know, a long time after blood trailing, um, lost the blood went back the next few days i went back matt had to go home i went back you know i hunted the rest of the season there trying to find crows or like coyotes any sign of anything and just nothing and then we were actually in hawaii in october for my sister's wedding and i got a picture that um a buddy had sent they somebody killed the caribou and uh, matt's arrow was still in it and it had a rogue wild wrap on it and it said caribou on the fletching. Um, oh. just, that's like, you know, I don't, I, the fact that he shot it with that arrow is crazy. But, uh, so they knew they're like, Oh, I know who's there. Oh, that is. And they sent us the picture and we were able to go see the bull and the kid that killed it is Caleb. Um, he's like, he, I think he was 16 when he killed it with a rifle. Um, just jumped the bull. It was, it was still alive and everything. And pretty cool ending that he was able to, you know, someone was able to kill it. Um, and, eat its meat and enjoy it wow so that that was definitely it's a long video but that's that's by far i think our coolest video just the story <laughs> is awesome man so yeah so cool yeah definitely everybody check that out i know i've seen it it's been a while but i saw it and uh really good job on that telling a story which is what it's all about so as a plumber why did you move to idaho from oregon uh, yeah, my wife got into school. She, I met her in Oregon. She was in college, um, getting her schooling. She kind of had a plan from the get go. She's going to be a physician assistant. So she got through with college and, ha- you know, had to go to, uh, medical school and applied and got in up here in Spokane. And so we were kind of ready to move wherever, um, just kind of, you know, to see different places. And yeah, she got into Spokane and we lived there for the first year and she completed her school. And then now she works at Kootenai hospital. Wow. So So I was kind of, I turned out as a plumber and I'm like, I can go wherever I'm, you know, I, uh, I was ready to move. So didn't have a whole lot to do with me. It was all her school. And so you guys have been in Spokane for how long or actually Idaho? Yeah, this will be our sixth year. Okay. Yep. And are you guys digging it from uh from your? Yeah, you guys are for sure. It's yeah, we be. love it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that covers you as a plumber. So, as a plumber and a dad and a husband, we get into this stuff on elk shape, man, because we are. I like to keep it real here. How do you manage making money but taking time off, but keeping Mama Bear happy with two young ones at home? Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> um, <laughs> My wife, she's, she's awesome. Um, she lets me get away, uh, you know, and we've been hunting since I, I've been hunting since she knew me since, from when we met. So 
she kind of knows that is like my number one thing. Um, I do get away with a lot more too, but, um, that she knows me and my brother, you know, September, that's, that's our thing. Um, we get to go spend time together. And, uh, so she, she is awesome about that. Um, for work I get, um, I got it pretty good. I, I, I only get, I get 10 days paid vacation, but I can take off all the time I want. Um, just unpaid. So she's got a great job and that helps a lot. I, uh, I can take a lot of unpaid days and still pay the bills. Um, so yeah, without my wife, I would, I would not be hunting as much as I am. That's for sure. That's awesome, dude. So uh, do you guys ever reach a point where she's like, you're going hunting again or any like, absolutely. Yeah. So let's, no one likes to, everyone likes to sweep that under the rug, except for me. I just tell people, Hey, my wife and I, when we fight, it's usually because I hunt too much, but uh, I do. I hunt a lot. It's just, I can't help it, but uh, I don't want to help it either, by the way. But uh, yeah. how do you guys resolve those little bumps in the roads? Um, yeah, usually I, gosh, I, I don't know. It's always a, it's always something that comes up. She, you know, we, I, I kind of lay it out ahead of time. I'm like, this is what I have planned. Um, but you know, especially switching to a recurve, I I didn't kill an elk this year, so I had a really long September where usually I'll I'll fill a tag somewhere along the way and and get a break. But this year was pretty tough. Um, but she knows, you know, she's she loves having elk meat. She knows what it means to kill an elk. Um, she kind of knows how difficult it is, and she knows it takes a lot of time. So um, it, it gets hard, and she. She gets on me pretty good at times, but I just, you know, I'm always like, if, if I don't go, I'm not going to kill one. And, uh, I don't know. I try to make up for it in the off season. I try to, uh, you know, let her do whatever it is she wanted to do or go on vacations. Um, try to plan stuff like that. I'm not that good at it. Yeah. She, she kind of knows what it means to me. And I guess that's enough that she, she puts up with it. She lets me go pretty much whenever I ask, which is. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and probably often. But uh, when yeah. you, when you did switch to a recurve, I would say that living in North Idaho per se, I see many scenarios where a recurve is almost to your advantage. Yeah. But ultimately, bow hunting with a compound for me is hard enough. What's that been like committing to a recurve? Have you? Has it been one that you're all or none? Burn the ships down. We're going. We're charging. We're, <laughs> been like yeah uh, maybe i'm gonna bring my compound too uh how's that been <laughs> yeah that the first year um i think it would it'd probably be four years ago um i got one and i i went to oregon hunted with my brother we we hunted with our car i mean we hunted with recurves i did bring my compound because i was just kind of i don't know you know I, I was not confident in it um and looking back probably shouldn't have hunted with it i missed a cow um, I think it was a 25 yard shot, shot right under her. Um, and I ended up, which this, you know, my brother, he doesn't believe me. I, we were riding our bikes, we're on logging roads and I, I ended up cutting my string. And so I had to pull out my, my compound. Um, and I ended up killing both my compound that year. So, <laughs> so yeah. And then, uh, he actually bought me a recurve for Christmas one year just to kind of, and he was like, we're getting back into it. You know, we're going hundred percent um so and we did and i just i leave my comp i leave my compound at home and uh last year and it was lucky enough to kill bull with my recurve for the first time and um you know just getting that first kill was was huge but i we shot all year long shoot every single day and it got to where i'm like if i get a shot you know which i'm saying 30 yards and under is a reasonable shot with the recurve if I get a shot, there's no reason I shouldn't kill an elk. Um, but you can't really, you know, you can't get away with like a head-on shot as much as you can with the compound. You quartering two is pretty much out of the question. Um, brush is is a lot harder. I kind of, you know, you kind of you have to be pickier on your shot, which that's what got me this year was just there's always some brush in the way. Um, I had a bull at 47 yards, which is just too far. I could have shot him probably 10 different times, but it's just too far. So, and we knew that going in, you know, it's like, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to eat some tags. You're going to have opportunities that normally would have 
then, uh, you know, you'd be shooting and you're not. So that's part of the game. Um, but it, it's just the, the success when you do get it, it's just, it's so much better. It's, you know, it's next level, um, compared to a compound and say it's, everything's harder and the, the success is that much sweeter. Yeah. And that's cool. I mean, that just speaks to your personality though. And I think that's why I have you on here is I can just tell you, dude, you're looking to be tested and, and you don't want the, the low road. You're looking for the high road, yeah. which is, that's, that's what I want out of people. And that's cool. So hunting with your brother, you guys are brothers. You know each other. You've probably been in a few punching matches, not in the, <laughs> oak, in the oak woods. But what does it take or how does it work with you guys as hunting partners? And what does it take to be a really good cohesive unit in the elk woods? Yeah. Yeah, we are. We, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of friends that we'd like to hunt with, but we kind of like, we got to, our elk hunt is, is just us. Um, we just, we hunt real well together. We get along, we kind of have similar, you know, hunting styles. We think alike in that way. So he is, uh, we're, which is funny cause we're, we're kind of different too, but he is, he's the leader for sure. And I'm always like, you know, he's, we talk stuff over, but he is, he, he reminds me like Corey Jacobson, you know, he gets going and there's no stopping him. He's just, he's kind of crazy. And I'm like, well, I, you know, I'll kind of go wherever he wants to go, do whatever he wants to do. Um, so we don't really butt heads too much that way. I'm, I'm pretty laid back at that. And he is, he, you know, like applying for States and stuff. He does all that research. He's just loves doing that. And so I'm like, yep, you tell me where to buy points. I'm doing it. Um, and he, he definitely, he definitely started, you know, me hunting for elk and kind of, he's just led the way the whole time. So that's cool. So you kind of yeah. each have your role and yep. you, you know, you gotta, I think uh, I'm your brother and my dad and I's relationship where I do all the research. I am the quarterback. He's the most laid back guy ever. And it works. I don't know if it would work if there was two Dan Statens hunting together. I don't think yeah. that would work too well. And my dad's so laid back that he's like, he's realized, just let me go. Cause I'm just going to, ch- I'm going to chase bugles. I'm not going to stop and ask him, Hey, do you want to dive after this bull? I'm going to go. And many times we've just, he just lets me go and no, uh, see you back at camp, you know, or, um, uh, we've worked, it's worked well. And, um, we do spend the days that we do hunt together hard. It's, it's usually me calling and I leave my bow back at home. How do you guys work caller shooter? How does, how do you guys do that? Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not terrible at calling him decent. I'm pretty good, but he's, he's better. So he's always, you know, and just like I said with Corey Jacobson, he's, you can't make him not call. Um, even if calling's not working, he's calling. <laughs> he just he loves hearing himself cow call and bugle and and he's 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 good at calling so he's he is the caller pretty much all the time um what this this one this year he you know i'm following him around with the camera he's calling we're trying to locate a bull and and that and that's what kind of ruined it for us he, i just am following him around we got this bull to answer up above us we go running up because he's close and he's coming in and um i should have stayed back calling we had to kill that bull no problem and instead i followed him up trying to video and uh we got hung up and the bull's right there in the brush and if i could have been back behind us in the trees calling he wouldn't he would have just ran right down past matt and it would have been just textbook but uh you know he he is the caller most times um i do set up behind him and call sometimes and um I had called in another bull this year that he almost killed. Um, but he's, he just, he can't be quiet with an elk call. So he's, he leads that for sure. Yeah. There's always that guy that you're going to call for and they just call, end up calling for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, him. That's awesome. There's that guy and it works. It still works. But are you taking out a recurve this fall? Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, my thought, I'm thinking I'm going to buy a, a longbow and try that. I, uh, nothing you know they're i don't know they're just different slightly so i i'm wanting to buy a new longbow and set it all up and and try that is kind of what i'm planning this year but definitely a traditional bow of some sort i uh i'm i'm willing to sell my compound if i can find someone to buy it so 
Well, that's cool. Are you three fingers under the arrow? You yeah. Are you okay? Yeah, three under. I shoot a clicker. Um, we kind of weren't doing that at first, which some trad guys are like, you know, it's it's cheating or whatever. But uh, it helps. Wait, it's just too. It's too good. It helps me too much to where, um, you know, if I'm gonna execute a good shot over and over again, that clicker is just key. So. I, we shoot clickers and three under, um, yeah, big, heavy broadheads, nice, heavy arrows. That's kind of, you know, speed's not, not a factor with that. So it's, it's a nice heavy arrow is what we're after. Packing a big punch. That's cool. So I guess we'll probably wrap this towards the end here talking about the elk hunting learning curve, which we try to crush here. And speaking of Corey Jacobson, Elk 101 is going to be a sponsor of this podcast. Now, nice. my main sponsor still is discipline, delayed gratification, hustle, hard work. Those guys, those are my title sponsors, man. Those are the sponsors that make me who I am and make me want to be the best version of myself. So got to say that, but we're going to partner it's a no-brainer for me because I think a lot of people listening to this understand that I'm just trying to help people with the elk hunting learning curve, whether they've had some success, uh, but it hasn't been consistent, or maybe they're a veteran, but they're still looking for more knowledge, or they're just intimidated to come out west, but it's on their radar and they think they're going to do it. Hey, Elk Shape Podcast listeners, we are taking a quick little break from the cast. I got to let you know about elk101.com and the promotion that we teamed up on. So check this out from Corey Jacobson. Hey elk hunters, Corey Jacobson here from elk101.com and if you're like me, you're probably thinking about elk hunting every day of the year and working continually to maximize your chances for success this fall. Well, Dan and I have created a special opportunity for you that I feel will absolutely take you to the next level in elk hunting regardless of your previous experience. Three years ago, I created the University of Elk Hunting online course with one goal in mind, to make you a more successful elk hunter. The UEH online course contains 45 chapters of detailed elk hunting information organized into 17 modules and covering every imaginable elk hunting topic, from planning and scouting to calling tactics and tracking and every topic in between. The University of Elk Hunting online course is the most comprehensive and complete resource available to elk hunters. And for listeners of the Elk Shape podcast, Dan and I have teamed up to offer you a 20% discount when you sign up. Simply go to elk101.com, click the link to the online course, and use the code ELKSHAPE, all one word, when you check out. You owe it to yourself to invest in the single most lethal weapon that you take to the elk woods each fall. Invest in you. Sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course and elevate your elk hunting success today. Because there's a lot of shenanigans, Ryan, going on in the hunting industry lately with... uh, Yeah. Man, I don't even want to go down this rabbit hole, but there's... The Meat Eater podcast Inc. was purchased. One of the shareholders is a huge anti-gun Democratic kind of guy, and that's curious. And I don't know all the details, so we'll just set that aside. And there's the guy who owns hmm. um, Mountain Athlete. I think his name's Rob Shaw. He's trying to start some conservation group out of Wyoming, and they want to put a limit on how far you can shoot your bow. And he's he was and he was quoted in this article saying that what made him. The tipping point was he was in the Wyoming backcountry eight miles in and he saw X amount of non-resident hunters and he just didn't think that was right. With all that nonsense going on, I just want to set the stage. Elk Shape is just about, man, these hunt the public land over the counter tags and it doesn't matter where you live. This land is your land. It's my land. Let's go out there and let's go buy our tags at Walmart. Let's go cut our teeth and and let's get a high five in on a rag bull we just killed because we just killed an elk or yeah. you shot a a 286 point and you're going to you know boil out the skull and put them on your wall and be damn proud of that like that's the people we want to talk to on this podcast and i think everybody listening knows i'm really transparent i have no fluff no bs but it's pretty cool to have elk 101 come in they're going to have a an opportunity for listeners to get a discount through the elk shape code and and get into that and go through the modules and uh i'm pretty stoked about that so you said Corey's Corey's name twice i was like well i better bring that up (laughs) that's awesome i know i like to be upfront about that and Corey's just one of my favorite people he's the real deal he's not a guy that you'd find signing autographs behind a booth not there's anything wrong with that but he's the guy that would just sit there and talk to you and 
and tell stories with. He's just so relatable. I love that guy. So that makes a lot of sense. But this September coming up here, how do you plan out your hunts, you know, with all the draws? It sounds like you're going to be guaranteed doing some OTC in Oregon and some OTC in Idaho. Can we bank on that? Or do you guys, are you building up a lot of points where you might be going out of state? I mean, obviously you drew Utah before. Did you have a lot of points for that? Yeah. Yeah, we had 10. Um, we, uh, we were both born in Utah. Um, oh, okay. So we kind of, you know, my dad grew up hunting Utah. So he had been putting us in since we were real young. Um, so we had 10 points for Utah. Um, so yeah, drew a good, good tag there. We do have points kind of through all the States. Um, this year we, I kind of usually typically, especially right now with two kids and stuff, get one out of state hunt um, a year. And then, you know, I can hunt Idaho, um, as much as possible. So we've been talking, we're trying to, de- trying to decide, um, it's tough to decide when to use points, when to save them, you know, the point creep, it's some states are just getting so bad. We're talking about doing a Nevada deer hunt. Um, we don't have many points there. Matt hunted a, a unit for deer two years ago and it was a great hunt. Um, he didn't end up killing the deer. It was with his recurve. That was kind of his first year really going for it and missed some deer. Um, it's an awesome hunt and it's pretty easy to draw. So that's one we're looking at doing in August. And then we can, if we do that though, I, I pro unless I can get away with it, I'll, I, I'll probably end up just hunting Idaho strictly. Um, I would like to go hunt Oregon with Matt, but two out of state, you know, it gets pretty pricey. Um, I, I typically am like, I'll rather, instead of buying the tag, have the time off to hunt Idaho, especially with two tags. You know, you can buy two tags. Um, so if that came to be, I could buy a second elk tag and just spend all of September doing that. So that's that's what we're kind of been talking about this year. Uh, my dad has some points, too, and he's getting older. We'd like to, you know, do some cool hunts with him while he can. So if he can draw his Wyoming elk tag that we've been trying for, we'd probably go help him do that. Um, and just video and, and, you know, help him out. Yeah. Wyoming's amazing. So learning curve, you didn't kill your first bull till 2010. How many years were you out trying before that? All of them. <laughs> Since I would probably, uh, probably started elk hunting about with a bow, I'd say like 15 to 16, got, you know, somewhere in there, maybe even a little younger. In 2010, yeah, I was 24 then, so probably close to 10 years okay. before I. And like I said, it was it was we were elk hunting in a bad spot, so we'd get into elk maybe once or twice every year. But uh, we killed my dad killed two bulls over those 10 years there. Me and Matt never did kill one. Um, so once we kind of figured out you got to hunt elk where there's elk, it was a lot better <laughs> yeah okay so there's uh don't number one don't hunt for elk where there is an elk that's uh yeah. it's actually super yeah. basic but actually overlooked uh and it's so it's easy to get stuck in a you know at that age when we're young it's just like oh it is what it is i didn't know what was out there really definitely so if you are in an area that's just not producing and you're not getting you know I, i'm trying to paint a picture of when i hunt elk um historically it's not a good day of elk hunting if I didn't at least, I mean, at least hearable. Yeah. I mean, I just don't see how it's possible, like, especially where I hunt in Idaho. Like, if I don't even hear a bull, I cover so much country until I do hear a bull. Exactly. And let's say yeah. the sun goes down, I still haven't heard a bull. I'm not yeah. going back to camp. No. Somewhere in some drainage is a bull that smelled a hot cow or a cow coming in sooner or later, anytime in September. He can't help but bugle. Uh, or there's just somebody who's going to wake up one day and their testosterone levels are going to say, dude, you need to tell everybody what's up. And so I guess that's like the first place I started is you should hear a bugle every day. And if you don't, you need to go find where the, you get an answer. I, I need elk to talk to kill elk in Idaho, period. Absolutely. Yep. Or you're just going to be staring at the timber. What else did you do in those 10 years that you don't do anymore? Um, we did not hunt hard. We, you know, we, 
it was flat. Um, there were some farm fields down where we'd hunt and the elk would go out in the, in the night. And so we knew there was elk around, but it's just like flat, a lot of roads, tons of people, tons of pressure. The elk didn't talk. Um, we, you know, when, when we did call an elk, they'd come in completely silent. Um, the few times it would happen. So now we're just, you know, it's like load up the backpack, get away from the roads, dive into spots. Nobody else or few people are willing to go. That's, I mean, it, you know, we'll look at a map and it's like, that looks, there's a nice ridge there. It's secluded. It's hard to get to nine times out of 10, you can find some milk in there. So yeah. So that's just kind of, that's a good tip. I mean, with Google earth and maps, you can really just kind of figure out either overlooked areas, which yeah, is art, those. or you can just go pick out the really nasty, shitty areas and go, go, go see if there's elk there or not. And you're going to pay a price, but it's worth it, you know, to get those, in there. Yeah, yeah. Those overlooked areas, though, um, we had this year, we did a few spots where it's like, if you can't hear the highway, you know, you're, you're too far in there. And there's some, there's some little honey holes that are right off the highway that are easily overlooked and they're easy to find on a map if you're looking for them. And we, we got into some nice bowls doing that this year. I was, I was pretty surprised. It was pretty cool. You don't always have to load your backpack up and go in crazy deep. So how did you figure that out? So, cause it's an art. I mean, yeah. there's not really a science to it, but like, it's a little bit of an instinctual, were you studying maps and looking at specific drainages or did you just pull your truck over and bugle? I mean, what did you do? No, Matt, and this is Matt, you know, he, I forgot who it was. I think it was Dirk Durham or and Corey. They were talking about it on the podcast, some old guy. That was like half drunk at a bar, came out and said, you guys elk hunting, you know, you know where you need to go. No, no, no. He said, if you can't hear the highway, you've gone too far. Like you need to. And I think it was that next day they, they went out and they were right, not far off the highway and they killed the bull. And Matt was talking about that. And he's like, there's some spots here that would be overlooked. Just looking, you know, cause we, we look at a map where we study maps a lot, um, especially in the off season, new areas that we want to hunt. He's, always on looking at maps and just kind of recognize these drainages and, and little spots that are close, but could be easily overlooked. And sure enough, there was, I think I'm trying to think two or three different spots that he picked that were just great bowls in there that we should have killed <laughs> with a compound. I think a couple of them we, we could have, but it just didn't work out. But, uh, you know, the, the bowls were there. It was, it was pretty cool. We had, in my learning curve, I think the reason why I sucked so bad in the beginning, especially, was I had it set on killing this one specific bull. And he had one of those unique throaty bugles that just made the hair stand up on the back of your neck. And I think we coined him the beast. Not very original, but this was early 2000s. And it was a public land area. And... uh, there was a guy, I can't really say this without giving away, but there was a place where you could ride your mountain bike. And it was a very, very, very popular trail. And I can distinctly remember my dad and I trying to kill this bull, and I'm calling, and my dad's out in front, and this bull's ripping and answering every call, and he just keeps pushing his cows. And I think we had this bull pretty darn near cornered, and I remember my dad, we didn't kill him, but my dad telling me that he could hear these little kids on their bikes saying, Dad, what is that sound? And this, <laughs> it was this bull bugling back at us that was just wow. unbelievable. And yeah, it was overlooked, but I think we were just stumbled upon it and chased bugles down into there and go ahead. So what's uh-huh. one more just finish up with a don't that, uh, you know, these new guys need to think about coming over to the West or guys that haven't killed quite consistently yet, what can they do or what should they not do, I guess, to, to make their chances more successful? Yeah, one thing that, you know, like I said, down in southern Oregon there, that we would always do some cold call setups just because they all aren't bugling. Um, you'd see some sign, no kind of like, okay, there's probably elk close by and and do some cold calling setups. And now hunting up here elk talk pretty good but you know 
everywhere around town is heavily pressured. Um, I think a good thing is to still do some cold call setups when you're, if you're seeing the sign, you know, you're in the right spot. Um, you know, it's like, I do, we do it all the time. Like, Oh, we're not getting an answer. We're moving on. And just cause they're not answering does not mean they're not there. Um, if the sign is shown, they're there, if there's rubs, if there's piss, if there's, you know, it's like the elk are not far from here to do some, uh, cold calling setups and just be really patient, especially middle of the day when you don't have, don't go back to camp, you know, you have nothing else to do. You might as well do some of those setups and, uh, and you know, the elk will come in dead quiet typically, but, um, it's, it beats the heck out of going back to camp, walking all day and just killing yourself, trying to, um, you know, find something in the middle of the day when it's, when it's hot out and dead. Um, that's something I kind of tell myself we need, I always need to do more of, you know, it's like, it's, it's, uh, that's kind of how we grew up doing it there and it, it, it can work. Yeah. You just got to be patient and have faith that the elk are within an earshot. And the, and the science behind that, or just a little more detail is, you know, if you do stop to eat a lunch or whatever, don't go put your bow behind a tree yeah. or your pack too far away. We kind of have a rule that we always will throw out and keep calls nearby when we're eating our lunch or whatever and just throw out some calls and have your bow ready. I'm telling you, one of these times you're going to kill a bull eating lunch. Yeah. And uh, it's happened to – you talk to any seasoned elk hunters, they have a few stories where that's happened. The other thing is on that cold call, I don't know what you guys do, but we generally will set up for anywhere between 20 and 40 minutes depending on my ADHD. And yeah. we'll put – we will get some separation between us and try to like set up based on the – the funnels and topography of, or land features of where a bull would probably typically come from. Obviously they want to get your wind. They're not going to come in bugling and screaming. They're going to, it could be a satellite bull sneaking in. So you're going to kind of want to set up your, your shooter or somebody's got to be downwind and angled to where, you know, they could catch them sneaking in and you got to keep your ears open, especially where we hunt. Cause you're going to hear something, you know, an elk can be pretty damn quiet. Believe it. Oh, you believe it really quiet, but you should be able to at least hear a little bit before they are right on top of you. Uh, anything else you would add to that cold calling technique? Um, no, that's, that's perfect. I, I agree completely. There is this year. Um, Matt was really into this. I think it was the, uh, the elk net talking about it um like especially cold calling but even even just regular you know when you know there's elk close all the little sounds elk make like the glunking and and moaning and grunting and just like breathing through your tube um matt you know we started doing that every time because it was like it would get those bulls you you wouldn't even think they're close enough to hear it and it's amazing how it would and it adds so much emotion to the calling to make it that much more realistic and it, you know, just quiet noises of like moaning or a bull, like not chuckling, but you know, breathing like, oh, 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 just, just a deep, um, kind of grunting sound, um, or hitting the tube with our hand for glunking something, stuff like that. That was, uh, that was working good this year. We got a lot of bulls that were just getting fired up over little sounds like that. I think that really helps add to it. Definitely. Well, dude, you are, I could talk to you forever. I know you got to get back to your family. Um, you do a pretty good job on Instagram with, uh, keeping everybody up to date on what you're doing, all your stuff. Where are you on the, uh, IG? Yeah, it's, um, Matt, you know, he, he mostly leads rogue wild on there. So, um, always posting stuff on rogue wild, but I'm on there at Ryan star or no, R starly. And Matt's on there as, um, I think he is, Matt Starley or M Starley, but, but, uh, mostly I think he posts on rogue wild. So that's a, a lot of cool pictures. And if a new video, if we do make a video, you know, put it on, on, um, Instagram there. So, okay. So 2019 Ryan's going to do a 24 hour race, potentially cross that century mark. That would be awesome. Oh, you're going to get, a, you're going to get a stick bow. Yep. and go to the real bow hunting and uh hopefully get i, I want to what do you think of traditional bow hunting you know is it interesting at all is it something you'd uh 
Um, when maybe. I've killed, I got to kill maybe 25 more bulls before I'll think about it. Right now, it's not on my radar. I got to, why don't yeah. I get to 50 bulls or something and then maybe, but right now, it seems to be hard enough with just a compound. But uh, I yeah. I think, uh, especially in like Roosevelt country yeah. and some brush country, it it would be awesome, and I love anything archery, man. I love shooting recurves just because I love shooting recurves. So I can't say yeah. never, but I don't think it's on my radar now. But yeah. uh, especially with kids, it seems like there's a pinch on time and efficiency of killing. So uh, I'm just not there yet, but uh, someday, man, for sure. Yeah. No, it's. I just. It's. I think it's the. You know, I was. I didn't really want to get into it, but. I just, I love it. It made shooting a bow just in the backyard at anything just so much fun. Um, yeah, there's something about just a bare bow and that slow arrow. You can just, you know, watch the arc of it. No sights. It's, I don't know. It's, it made archery kind of, it changed archery for me. It's, it's cool. That's so cool, man. Well, I appreciate your story and coming on. Do you guys have a website at Rogue Wild? We do. Yeah. RogueWildProductions.com. Um, not a ton on there i would say like for you know for videos just youtube is as good as it gets there it's we're just kind of do it for fun there's not you know we're not like trying to make money we're he's a dentist so he's he's just he's got three kids he's busier than i am so (laughs) we're both just kind of we do it for ourselves you know to have videos to look back on and um there is a website not a ton on it but uh yep that's cool ryan so good talking to you man i have to catch up with you and uh, get a trail run in, and you can yeah, pound me into the dirt. <laughs> Maybe I'll see you at the uh, Montana, the Spartan Race. Okay. I will hope cool. so. Appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, thank you. Have a good night. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to another episode on Elk Shape. This is just me. want to recap the episode that uh, sign up for something ahead of time. Like Ryan did, he set himself up. He just signed up for a 24-hour race. He's committed. I signed up for a Spartan race. It's going to force me to run. Sign up for something that's going to force you to stay motivated and keep training in the name of better elk hunting. Also, make sure that you get to the grocery store, get all your food, shop the perimeter, get your food prepped for the week. 80-20 on your nutrition. I want you eating clean 80% of the time, and you cannot out-train a bad diet. And If you are packing on weight right now in the off-season and it's not good weight, uh, every pound you have on you is a pound against you in the elk woods. Having mobility, speed, athleticism, and being agile is always going to play to your advantage in the elk woods. If you guys have questions, comments, concerns, you can send me an email, elkshape at gmail.com. Follow along. Uh, at Elk Shape on Instagram. Give us a five-star review. Go check out Corey Jacobson's Elk Hunting University. That's a solid investment. I appreciate your time. Make it a great week. We'll catch you on the next one.